So waiting is a difficult thing. I don't think many of us enjoy waiting for things. Uh, the other day I ordered something off Amazon and I was really looking forward to receiving it. And I got into that trap, you know, where you check uh, the tracking progress of the delivery to see, okay, it's out for delivery. So when is it going to arrive? When is it going to arrive? And that waiting can be an uncomfortable thing. And this, of course, is sort of a trivial example. But sometimes we wait for more important things. I was talking to someone the other day and they were waiting to receive test results from an important uh, health test that would determine a lot about what would happen in their future. And this waiting provoked a lot of anxiety and difficulties. The positive side as well, we can wait with great expectation. We see this all the time when you go to the airport, people waiting kind of in the arrivals area for a loved one to return perhaps from a long voyage. This waiting is filled with expectation. Waiting, of course, is a normal part of being human beings. We all have to wait for something or someone at different times in our life, but it can be uncomfortable. It can be causing some impatience in our lives, some discomfort, or even some anxiety. Even though waiting is a difficult thing, it's striking that for us as Christians, we're characterized as people who wait. The whole idea of waiting for someone to come back is central to what it means to be a Christian. And we acclaim this every time we proclaim our faith. We believe and kind of situate ourselves between two major events. The first is the resurrection of Jesus, which we believe has already happened. But we are waiting for Jesus to come back for this event that we call the parousia, which is kind of a fancy Greek word for the arrival of an important person. And we live in this in-between stage or this in-between circumstance where Jesus has risen for the dead, but we wait for Jesus to come back to judge the living and the dead, for the dead to arise again. So we as Christians then are marked by waiting. We are waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. Early on in the early days of the church, people thought that this time of Jesus' arrival would be quite soon. This comes across very clearly in the second reading, Paul's first reading to the Thessalonians, which is one of his first letters that he wrote. And in this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul makes it pretty clear that he thinks that Jesus is coming back soon. If not in his lifetime, then maybe the next generation of people, Jesus would come back. And the people at Paul's time, the, the community in Thessalonica, longed for Jesus' return because they lived with a lot of darkness in their lives. They were under some persecution. They had some divisions within the community. They were mourning loved ones who had passed away. So they really longed for Jesus to come back. They hoped that he would return soon. Of course, as time has gone on, since Paul wrote his letter to the Thessalonians, maybe in the year kind of 50 or something like this, this time between Jesus' resurrection and his return has grown longer. Jesus himself says we don't know the time or the place when he returns, but as this time has grown longer, we are still called to maintain this spirit of expectation. We, like that community in Thessalonica, also have different darkness or struggles in our life. We long for Christ to come back to make things right. We can look, for example, in the world today at the different wars, the violence that exists, we long for peace. We long for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to return again to set things right. 
we then as Christians, and we say this every time in the creed, are people really of waiting. We wait in expectation for Jesus. But waiting, of course, is difficult. Fortunately, in the gospel today, Jesus gives us a couple helpful pointers for how we can be people of waiting and wait with great expectation. The first lesson we learn, I think, from the gospel today, this parable of the different virgins, the wise and the foolish, is that we wait with hope. We don't wait with anxiety, with trepidation, or at least we shouldn't. We are people who wait in hope. And again, in Thessalonica, as today, there's different darkness that we live through, that we hope for Jesus to return, to set right. I think I've used this image before, but I find it a very powerful one. Oftentimes, people will say that we as Christians need to choose where we want to live, kind of in respect to uh, the day, that we know that there are two times in the day when it is dark, when the darkness is transitioning to light or the light transitions to darkness. The first of these times is uh, dusk, when light transitions to darkness, this kind of dusk period. Another time that's very similar where there's a transition between darkness and light is the dawn, where ultimately the darkness is scattered by light. And dusk and dawn look quite similar. And the saying goes is that we as Christians need to choose where we live. Are we people of the dusk or people of the dawn? People of the dusk believe that things are becoming darker, that things are becoming more dreary, more hopeless. People of the dusk, on the other hand, recognize that soon this darkness will be scattered by the rising sun. We as Christians are to be like these wise virgins in the Gospels. We are expecting Jesus to come back. For this reason, we wait for Christ in hope. And we are not to be naive about the different struggles and darkness that we face, but we have this strong and certain hope that Jesus Christ, who is the rising sun, is coming back eventually, and his light will scatter the darkness. So although we wait, we wait with great hope and confidence for Christ to return, who loves us and who will be with us forever. As well, we see how we are to behave in the interim as we wait. And here we get this image of the oil with the virgins. And this oil has been interpreted in various ways. Probably as many homilies as you hear, you'll hear a different explanation for what this oil is. And the oil in the gospel is quite interesting because it's something that you must personally have. You can't really share it with other people. This oil has been interpreted perhaps as being faith, faith in Jesus Christ. But I think a particularly helpful interpretation of what this oil might be is gained from looking at the context in which this parable is found. So in the immediate context of this parable, Jesus tells another parable about the separation of the sheep and the goats at the last judgment when the Son of Man returns. And in this parable, Jesus teaches people that the good are separated from the bad based on what they did to the least of the brothers and sisters. If they gave food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, visited those who were in prison. And Jesus ultimately concludes this powerful parable with those important words, whatever you did to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did to me. So because this parable is so close to the parable of the bridesmaids, many people would argue that this oil is symbolic for good works, for service, 
for charity, we gain and maintain oil in our life when we do to the least of those what we would do to Jesus. And remember, oil, of course, is put in a lamp. Lamps produce light. So we are called as we wait for Jesus, who is the rising sun, who scatters the darkness, to be lamps of light to those around us, to be light that scatters the darkness. And we do this by having this oil of good works and kindness. We produce some light in the darkness when we show love and kind to the least among us. So waiting then is difficult for all of us. And as Christians, we are people who wait. But as the gospel teaches us, we are not people who wait without hope. We have great expectation that Jesus will return. And as well, Jesus calls us to be people of light, people with lit lamps, to expect his return. Let us think of ways we can fill this oil in our own lamp by showing charity and kindness to those around us.